really warm welcome to the teaching ministry of New Life Church Crawley. We're a multicultural, intergenerational church. And we believe in the gospel of Christ. We believe in spreading his love through his word and through his works. We really hope that you enjoy what you hear today. We'd love for you to connect with us via the usual social media outlets, such as Facebook or on our website. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. I'd like to welcome those uh, that join us online this morning. Happy Easter to you all. Uh, my name's Ian. I'm one of the leaders here. And um, I want to wish you all a very, very uh, happy Easter. And um, if we could have the uh, welcome, that's cool. So yeah, welcome you all. If it's your first time here, if it's not your way of doing church, this is how we do church. Um, so I hope you enjoy your uh, morning with us and um, stay for tea and coffee and uh, biscuits afterwards. Um, myself or Ron, if you are new, I handed you out a, a, one of these cards, a, a, a welcome pack. Yeah, inside there, there's a little welcome card. If you could fill that out and give it to me uh, or Ron or, or David. And um, it's good to be in contact with each other, you know. It, during the week, we don't see each other um, very often, but it's good to be in contact with you. So fill that out, give it to me, and uh, we can be in contact with each other. So it's good to see you. I'm going to hand over now to my lovely wife, uh, Liz, and um, she's going to do the giving talk. Thank you. And a short testimony. Good morning and welcome from me. It's so lovely to see so many people here and welcome from me to the visitors too. It's lovely to have you with us this morning. So Easter is all about trust and faith. That's what underpins the Easter message, trust in God and faith in God. And another trust and faith issue I want you to consider this morning is actually in relation to giving. And you'll see on the screen, there's a verse from Psalm 78 and it says, they spoke against God. Now, this morning, we're all for God. <laughs> we're celebrating. It's Easter Sunday. It's the resurrection. But the Bible recounts of some people that spoke against God. And they said, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? In other words, can God really be trusted now, this is pretty remarkable if you look at the context of this, because God had done the most amazing things for the people that were here complaining. So if they'd looked back and remembered, they would have actually thought, actually, yes, God can spread a table in the wilderness because he's done it before and he can do it again. But maybe like the people in the Bible passage here we're looking at, maybe you're questioning this morning, well, can I trust God? And specifically, can I trust God with what I give him uh, and my finances? And Ian and my testimony this morning is that you can. Recently, we experienced how God really can spread a table in the wilderness because we had need, we had a big need of finance to meet some commitments that we had. And we trusted God, we gave, and we just held tight. Tried not to be like these people saying, can God do it? But to believe and know that God can do it because we looked back and knew that God is faithful. And to say that God met our need is a massive understatement. I can't uh, underline that enough. 
God's provided for us in ways we could never have imagined, never have foreseen, never have dreamt even. And what made it even more special and even more um, recognisable that it was God's hand in it is the provision came on the exact day that it was needed. (laughs) The exact day, which was so amazing. So I just want to encourage you all Um, If this morning you're feeling a bit like the people maybe in the passage, well, can we really trust God? Then yes, you can. Put your faith in him. He can be trusted and he really, really can spread a table in the wilderness. So I know that most of the people here will be regularly giving online, which helps us as a church to manage the finances and deploy them, knowing what's coming in and what needs to go out and where. But if you don't do it in that way and you would like to give this morning, there are other ways that you can do it. So if you look on the screen now, you will see there's bank account details, there's a QR code, there's a link. um, And also at the back, we have envelopes. And if you're a gift aider, please do gift aid because it does make an enormous difference to us being able to help and bless others. Thank you. Okay, children, if you can make sure that you're back with an adult now, that would be amazing. So anyone that's sitting on the floor at the back, if you go back to your adults, that will be, look at them all appearing. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay, so our activity packs today, um, for those of you that are visitors, most of our services at New Life are intergenerational because we love having the children in as part of us. And so we provide stuff for them to do while we're having our talk and it's all relevant to that. So it's really important, children, that you stay with an adult while you do your activity pack. Our activity pack today, I've got a magnet for you to fill in, to draw, so that you can do something about the Easter message. So listen to what David's saying about the resurrection and you've got a magnet to go on your fridge um, to remind you about how much Jesus loves you. We've got an Easter card with lots of stickers. I know you all love stickers. So we've got an Easter card for you to make because Easter is a time to share. And so who do you want to share some love and some good news with today? Make yourself an Easter card. And then we've got our usual activity sheets and our prayer sheets on there as well. So you've got plenty to do to keep you occupied in a minute. But first of all, we want you to be looking this way because we're going to just remind ourselves of the Easter story. And if you think about the Easter story, and I think David's going to say this later, women come out of it quite well. So we're going to think about that today. When Jesus needed help, he'd find it's women first across the line. There's Mary, who is Jesus's mum. She likes to walk. She doesn't run. Mary up in Bethany. She's swift and strong, but she's done her knee. Mary, mum of James and Joe. She runs in the rain and in the snow. Mrs. Clopas, she's a Mary, 100 metres legendary. The other Mary, if you like, you could try and beat her on your bike. Then there's Mary Magdalene, the fastest girl you've ever seen. Seven spirits weighed her down till Jesus rocked up in her town. He set her free. She joined the crew. You know, that's something you can do. They raced around Galilee, teaching, healing, setting free. Then Jesus says, now's the time. Jerusalem the finish line. Some will fall, all will cry. To win this race, I must die.
The road will twist, the road will bend, but when it's finished, it's not the end. Friday, it is finished. Mary cried when Jesus died. Doom and gloom outside the tomb. Saturday, Mary sat still. Sunday, Mary walked to the garden. Oh no! Run, Mary, run. Tell Peter and John they've moved the stone. Jesus is gone. Run, Mary, run. Zip and zoom. Race the boys back to the tomb. Stop, Mary, stop. Woe of woes. They've taken Jesus and left his clothes. Pete looked at John. Extraordinary. We're out of here. Goodbye, Mary. Cry, Mary, cry outside the tomb. But who's that sitting in the gloom? Weeping woman, why the tears? We're listening angels, we're all ears. Dry your eyes, blow your nose, pour out your heart between those blows. My Lord, they've taken him away. I don't know where they'll make him lay. Mary sighs and turns around. An earthy man, boots on the ground, big strong hands, a scar or three. Dirt under nails, dirt on his knee. He smells of sweat, of life, of soil, of flowers and trees and honest toil. Good, the gardener, thought Mary. They're down to earth. They're not airy-fairy. When you're dis down, if you're disheartened, you need a bloke who's gone and gardened. <laughs> Weeping woman, tears on your cheek. Who have you lost? Who do you seek? My Lord, they've taken him away. I don't know where they'll make him lay. And Mary weeping flowing tears of sorrow, hope, strength and fears. For everything disheartened her. Then Mary, said the gardener. Teacher, teacher, you're all right. She hugged her Lord and squeezed him tight. Mary, Mary, put me down. I need my feet back on the ground. Now stretch those legs, lace up that shoe. I've got a job for you to do. Run, Mary, run, go tell the crew, the Lord's alive, it's strange but true. So Mary ran to tell each friend, I've seen the Lord, it's not the end. Hooray for Mary Magdalene, the fastest girl you've ever seen. Thank you. Well, you don't have to be as quick as Mary Magdalene this morning, but we are going to give you an opportunity to say hello to one another. Uh, if you're a guest, then don't worry. Some folks will come and say hello to you. Um, but yeah, let's take the opportunity. High five, hug, handshake, whatever suits you, whatever you're used to. Uh, let's take a couple of minutes to do that, and then we'll come back and look at the important question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Thank you.
Okay, well, if you haven't grabbed your seat, please do so now. That would be great. Let me add my welcome to, to everyone else's. It's great to have you here, especially if you're a guest. As you will see, we are a little bit mad, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's good to have you. Kids, as Kerry said, please stay with your parents uh, for doing activity packs today. Uh, they're being distributed at the moment. That's great. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to get straight into the message this morning. Father, we thank you for the affirmation that we've already sung, that we've already seen visually as well, of who Jesus is and the fact that we believe he rose from the dead. So Father, we pray that you would help us listen, learn, and understand today, and that, that we would respond to what it is you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name. It's, it's great to see so many different cultures. I love the, the fact that the church has so many different cultures and, uh, and different creeds and different ways of, of looking at things. And for some of you, I've traveled to some of your countries and doing that. But one of the things when I'm talking to people is, is that they always say the, the UK culture, there's some strange phrases, isn't there? So some of you have come and you think, what on earth are you talking about? And one of the phrases that's actually very popular in Northern Ireland, it talks about having a situation. If you've come into to the UK and you think, what, what do you mean there's a situation? It, it's kind of the, the very British way of understating that there's a problem. <laughs> we don't want you to panic, but just to be alert that something's happening. Isn't that true, Dee? Dee's nodding her head. But you see, I, I think, uh, in fact, in the next slide, even the White House has a room for it. They, they actually call it the situation. the situation Room. It's very common in Northern Ireland to say that. But I, I think when we look at the story of the, the resurrection morning, I, I think we had a bit of a situation on our hands because we know the end of the story and if we've heard it at all, we're, we're familiar. Kids, if I could just have your attention as well. Just, thank you. So we, we know the end of the story, but actually the first disciples didn't. They, they didn't really understand what was happening. They didn't really expect it, to be honest. Mary, when she was going uh, with the other ladies, she was expecting to, to do something with the embalming and as part of the process that she couldn't do earlier, they didn't expect the tomb to be rolled away. They weren't prepared for it. And in fact, some of them took some convincing to believe, even though Jesus already said. And I understand that maybe you're a visitor here this morning or you're watching online. There's a whole range of people. And this is the situation that I find myself in as a communicator. There's people who I would, what I would call are, are the sentimentalists. Well, what, what they approach Easter is, well, I, I love the Easter story. I think you guys do, do a great job. And do you know what? I, I feel emotional every year when I think about it. But I'm going to walk away completely unchanged by it. That's the sentimentalist. Then there's the, well, I'm a spiritual person. And you've met them. And they'll, they'll say things like this. Well, you know, that's an interesting service. I've been before. I know roughly what you're going to be saying. I get the story, but truthfully, I've, I've no idea why, why Jesus died, uh, or why it even matters that he rose again. We'll answer that question. You know what? I have my own beliefs, but good for you. <laughs> You've met people like that. 
Or maybe the, there's the cynic. Maybe that we have some cynics or skeptical people here this morning and they'll say, yeah, yeah, I know what this is all about. I've been dragged here by my boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, partner, significant other. I've been dragged here by someone. What time can I get out? <laughs> How long is it before you let me out of here? Do you know what? We understand and you're welcome whatever stage you're at. Some of you may be believers. And what you're saying today is, I've encountered the truth of this message and it's changing my life. Some of you, yes? You see, what's our starting point with the resurrection? Well, I think we have to start, you will find that I answer some very simple questions, probably because I'm Irish, Erica. So it needs to be very simple. What, what do we even mean by the resurrection of Jesus? Because there's some confusion, I think, around that term and what people expect. For some people, they, they mix it up with this idea of reincarnation. You know, a belief that after biological death, the soul begins a new life in a new body that may be human or maybe an animal. It really depends on the moral quality of your previous life. Resurrection of Jesus is not reincarnation. Neither is it resuscitation. You know, some people say, well, was he really dead? And so one of the theories that, that comes out is what's called the swoon theory. You know, that Jesus kind of swooned on the cross and the, the cool of the, the tomb kind of revived him to life. That really is a load of nonsense. When you understand and see what actually happened to Jesus, the suffering that he faced, the flogging, and if you've ever seen the Passion of the Christ, you will know just lost a lot of blood. Normally they didn't then crucify them as well. But Jesus went on to be crucified. And the Roman soldiers knew what they were doing. We'll come to that in a minute. But the idea of he somehow revived in the coldness of the tomb, it makes no medical sense anyhow. Because if you are hemorrhaging and you go into a cold environment, um, what's going to happen? If you weren't already dead, <laughs> you soon will be. Because some form of clot or hemorrhage. And then the idea that he, that he rolled away a two-ton stone from the grave... I'm sorry, it just doesn't bear. So the idea of resuscitation, someone coming back from apparent death, it doesn't hold out. The resurrection of Jesus in the Bible is the belief that his body was dead, but being raised up again to life, never to die again. The resurrection of Jesus was, was something unique, something different, because Jesus raised people from the dead in his miracle ministry, but they died again. But the difference with the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus came and says, I conquered death. In fact, I hold the keys of death and hell. It's why we believe there's a hope. It's why we believe we don't have to fear the future. But here's a question that sometimes people said. Did they believe Jesus rose from the dead? Did the early disciples really believe it? Maybe it was just a little bit of wish fulfillment. Maybe the story was, was made up a little bit later. Well, when you begin to look at the story, and you see in all the Gospels that it's, it's actually included. And the interesting thing uh, is that the details are slightly different in each of them. And people have kind of pointed the finger, ah, said, okay, so, so the Bible's contradictory then. Because look, this happened at this point, and this happened at this point, so it can't be true. But if any of you have ever dealt with the police, I was involved with a police chaplain, just to clarify. <laughs> 
When the police are looking for witnesses and they take statements, even if a simple road traffic accident happened outside here and four of you saw it and the police came and took your accounts, would you all see the same thing? Would you all have exactly... No, the police are trained that when the witnesses say exactly the same things, there's some form of collusion usually involved. There's some form of... They've got together... because. Four people telling the same story, they don't see or experience exactly the same things. But the consistency of the message is that Jesus rose again on that first Easter Sunday. And in fact, some of the early disciples who didn't witness it came and they they looked and they investigated. Luke was a doctor and he wrote two volumes, the Gospel of Luke and then this second volume, which which is Acts. And this is what he said. He's writing to a Roman official. Should come up on the screen for you. Acts 1, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So, so let's not have any mistake or any misunderstanding. The early disciples preached and believed that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. There was no mistake. In fact, the majority of the disciples gave their lives for it. It's thought of Peter that he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. Listen, it cost these people, many of them, their lives And Luke comes and says, I've researched this, I've investigated this. But let's be honest, it's okay to say something, isn't it? But what's the actual evidence for it? Someone can say anything to me. They can say, do you know what? I have a check for a million pounds for you. (laughs) But I'm not going to believe it until I see the bank balance. Because you can say anything, you can write anything, can't you? So what evidence is there for the resurrection? Do you know, in the UK, a survey was done in 2022 where 45% of the population were willing to say they believed in the resurrection. So this idea that science has disproved Christianity, this idea that science has kind of made Christianity irrelevant, 45% of the people in the UK said they were willing to believe. Faith is not dead, folks. I'm telling you, there's an awful lot of people willing to say, we've looked at the evidence and we believed. So let's look at a little video clip. This is a guy called Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune and I've met a few reporters. They're very skeptical, very cynical people because they're used to investigating story. And he was an investigative reporter. And in his words, he said his wife got religion and he didn't sign up for that deal. So he was wanting to divorce her. But he said, you know what? I'm not divorce her because I do love her. But I'm going to check this Christianity thing out and I'm going to disprove the resurrection and then she'll have to give it all up. And he took two years of investigating and researching and came to the conclusion that the evidence was there for it. Now we're going to show you a video clip in a minute. For those of you who are taking screenshots or this afternoon the PDF will go up on the website. Uh, You can follow up with these notes. You can follow up with the two videos we're going to show today. But Lee talks a little bit, just two minutes, of why we can believe in the resurrection. 
So thank you guys. I like to look at the evidence for the resurrection in four categories. The first one is, did Jesus die on the cross? Was he dead? Virtually every scholar on planet Earth concedes that Jesus was dead after crucifixion. We have no record of anyone anywhere ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Uh, even the Association uh, published a peer-reviewed scientific medical study, indisputable that Jesus was dead. So Jesus was dead. The second category of evidence is the early accounts we have for the resurrection. In other words, I used to think as an atheist that the resurrection was a legend, and that took a long time to develop in the ancient world. But what I learned is that we have preserved for us a creed of the earliest Christian church, a creed that is a eyewitness-based report of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this creed has been dated back by scholars to within months of the death of Jesus within months. That is historical gold. So we've got a newsflash from ancient history on the resurrection. Third category of evidence is the empty tomb. And the best evidence for that is even the opponents of Jesus implicitly admitted the tomb was empty. Because when the disciples began proclaiming that Jesus had risen, what the opponents said was, oh, well, um, the disciples stole the body. Now they're conceding the tomb's empty, they're just trying to explain how it got empty. So everybody's conceding the tomb was empty. How did it get empty is really the issue, and that goes to the fourth category of evidence, which is eyewitnesses. You know, for most of what we know about ancient history, it comes from one or maybe two sources of information. And yet for the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus, we have no fewer than nine ancient sources inside and outside the New Testament, confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the risen Christ. That is an avalanche of historical data. So you put all that together and you have a really good case for Easter. So a little bit later, I'll, I'll say that we have um, a handout, so if you want to follow up on that, uh, and lots more evidence. Lee's story is very, very interesting. Uh, it was made into a major mo motion picture called The Case for Christ, telling his story. I would encourage you to look at it. So let, let's just begin to look at these ideas. Jesus was dead. He wasn't pretending to be dead. He didn't swoon. He was really dead. The, the Romans were lethal at crucifixion. They were lethal executioners. They knew what they were doing. In fact, if you remember the accounts, they didn't even have to break Jesus' legs. Uh, they broke the legs of the other two, uh, the, the, the criminals that were on the cross with him, but they didn't break Jesus' leg. And Pilate actually queried that in the gospel story, and he got the centurion in charge and said, is he really dead? Because someone wanted to come and claim his body. So make no mistake about it, the Romans knew what they were doing with crucifixion. And also the medical evidence, when they thrust the spear into his side, those of you who are from a medical background know that when blood and water came out, that was the sign of a ruptured heart. So his heart was ruptured, Jesus was really dead, and even non-Christians uh, will not dispute that fact. So what about the second bit, early accounts for the resurrection? the empty tomb, what, was it a case of wish fulfillment? Was it a case that they, they really wanted it to be true? That the kind of, they were, they were so overcome in their grief and, and then over time it's a legend that, that took to develop? Well, actually that doesn't bear witness either. I think there's a next slide. That doesn't bear witness either because many years, hundreds of years before Jesus came, there, there was a prophecy from a prophet called Isaiah 
that said that he would come, that, that he would suffer for his people, and that he would rise again from the dead. And in fact, Jesus repeatedly said to the disciples, listen, we must go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer at the hands of religious leaders. I'm going to die, but I will rise again. They had no clue what he was talking about. They had no concept. They had no framework of of resurrection anywhere in their thinking. So they certainly were caught up in grief, but that didn't color the judgment. In fact, If any of you are history buffs and like a little bit of that, you may have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. I think there's a slide for that. Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947, and this is on the the website there, it's on the Israeli website, Israeli Jewish Museum. And they uh, talk about all the scrolls that were found in Qumran in 1947. Thousands of fragments and thousands of manuscripts uh, from the Old Testament and then some of the New, and, and they show some of the historical evidence concerning Jesus. And one of those was a 24 foot long scroll of Isaiah. So you see, it's not just a legend that's made up, it's not someone wishing it were true. This was prophesied, this, this was talked about, and there's evidence that was shown to prove that. If you think about some of the historical things like Homer's Iliad, uh, Caesar's Gallic Wars, they actually have very, very little manuscript evidence that is separated by hundreds of years. I can show anyone a graph to show you that. But the Bible accounts are written really immediately from the time. Eyewitness accounts, thousands of fragments, I've seen some of them, I have pictures of some of them. Some of them go even from um, AD 90 onwards, which is a very short space of time in historical writings. See, the challenge is people will believe in in Caesar or Homer or other elements of history because they don't have to do anything about it. But the moment you believe in the manuscript evidence and the historical evidence about Jesus, you have to do something about it. And trust me, there's an overwhelming amount of evidence that talks about that. The third thing is, the fact was, there was an empty tomb. (laughs) However you want to explain it, however you come up with an adequate explanation, I know what I believe, the most common one is, is that the body was stolen. Just begin to unpack that. We're gonna show you a two minute video. Just begin to think about that. Is that really credible? Let's watch a, a couple of minute video again. Number two, if you're a Roman guard on duty and you fall asleep, how do you know what happened? Like we were asleep, and while we were sleeping, we noticed that the disciples came down here and they took this, but no. The Bible talks about that an argument for against the resurrection that the disciples stole the body or yeah. that you know, trying to make it to be something that it's not. So uh-huh. I'm just curious, like, when that is brought to the attention of skeptics, what is their response to that? Or what are your thoughts as far as well, actually, why is that attack? Actually, what you're saying here is what is known as enemy testimony. What's enemy testimony? Enemy testimony is very powerful because, look, if your mother says you're brave, we go, okay, that's mom. But if your arch enemy says you're brave, what does that say about you? You're brave, right? If the enemies, so-called enemies of Christianity... We're admitting the tomb was empty by coming up with a story that the disciples stole the body while the guards were asleep. What is that admitting about the tomb? 
that it was empty. So Matthew, who's writing his gospel to Jews, never would have put that in there unless it was true. And there is a Jewish source early on that actually admits that's, that's our explanation. The disciples came and stole the body while the guards were asleep. Now, that doesn't make any sense for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you're a Roman guard on duty and you fall asleep, what happens to you? You're toast. Number two, if you're a Roman guard on duty and you fall asleep, how do you know what happened? Like, we were asleep, and while we were sleeping, we noticed that the disciples came down here and they took this. But no, it makes absolutely no sense, but it's enemy testimony. Now, to, to expand this question out a little bit, what's happened in recent years with regard to New Testament scholars who are not Christians, people like Bart Ehrman at UNC Chapel Hill and others, when they look... They used to adopt an alternative theory to the resurrection. There was uh, hallucinations or something like that, right? They don't, they don't pick a, an alternative theory anymore because they know everyone they pick is flawed. And so what do they say now? They go, we don't know what happened. They don't have an explanation. And Gary Habermas, the top guy in the world on the resurrection, is approaching 5,000 pages in his magnum opus on the resurrection. And... He wants to get it done before he dies. <laughs> so look out for that. And he covers all this in that book. So the idea that the body was stolen, it just doesn't bear, bear credible, credible with this because there was Roman guards set on the tomb because the Jewish leaders basically said, well, maybe they'll come and steal the body. So it was four by four Roman guards set on a 24-hour watch on the tomb. Bible records that when the angels came and the stone was rolled away, they ran and then the Jewish leaders kind of concocted a story with them to say all oh, the disciples came and stole the body. But truthfully, because they wanted to suppress this new movement, they wanted to suppress Christianity, all they had to do was provide the body. <laughs> The might of the Roman Empire could have easily provided where you're going to hide a stolen body with the might of the Roman Empire after it. it. It just doesn't stack up when you begin to look at all the evidence that the disciples actually stole the body. Uh, we're not going to look at this video clip now, but if you want to look at uh, a little bit further, just in case we have any skeptics amongst us, could the resurrection be a conspiracy? Have you had enough of conspiracy theories? <laughs> Well, they've even said, maybe it's just a big hoax. Maybe it's just a big uh, conspiracy that's put together. Well, again, I, I don't think that bears any credible uh, evidence. So, but if you want to look at it, there's a three-minute video. What about the eyewitness accounts themselves? There's a lot of post-resurrection appearances. And one of the things that Frank alluded to is maybe they hallucinated when they seen Jesus. Now, if it was one person... Maybe you could kind of come up with that and say, well, maybe one person so overcome by grief, wanting the comfort of their presence. But just begin to look at some of the different people. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, more than one person, the 11 disciples all together, the seven disciples, Peter, John, the Roman guards themselves. And at one stage, the Bible records that Jesus appeared to 500 people at once. Now, I'm not experienced in using drugs, but those who are 
tell me that even if you're having a shared experience where a number of people are using drugs at the same time, you are not going to have the same hallucination or the same experience as someone else. So the idea that it's a, it's a mass hallucination, again, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not credible. 500 people, it says, in fact, one of the early church leaders who was originally against this new movement through Jesus, uh, we know him as Saul, he later became Paul. This is what he says, 1 Corinthians 15. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. So Paul is coming and saying this, listen, if you want to check this out, there are people still alive at that point in time that you could go and you could talk to and you could get their direct eyewitness testimony concerning the resurrection. This is not just something that's made up. This is real people in crowds gathered together. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I'd been born at the wrong time, Paul, I saw him also. And when you begin to look at the details, Kerry mentioned earlier, it was the women who were first at the tomb. Actually, it was the women who were at the cross as well. Guys, you didn't do well. You ran. Some of you ran naked. But it was the ladies who were there and the ladies who were first at the tomb and the ladies who spread the story, which if you're making up a story, you would never want to do because in first century Roman culture and Jewish culture, a woman's testimony was not accepted in a court of law. Sorry, ladies. That's what happened in the first century. There's no way it was credible a woman coming and saying, this is what happened. So if you're making this stuff up, guess what? You ain't going to have women to be the first witnesses to the resurrection. As we say, there's, I have handed lots more notes that are available for you. If you want to look at some of the videos, uh, you can take a screenshot of that as well. That's some of the stuff that I have on the notes. Some of the videos um, are very short, three, five minutes, like you've seen. Lee Strobel gives his testimony for 30 minutes. The last one that was mentioned there is a professor of philosophy. 36 minutes long. For those of you who are uh, more philosophical in your bent and in your nature, that's quite a technical video. Uh, so he goes into some technical detail, uh, kind of discussing the resurrection. But here, here's the important question. Why, why does the resurrection of Jesus matter? We can look at all the evidence we want, and if you're, if you're not willing to be convinced, then nothing will convince you. Because the thing about God, and the thing about anything in history, you can't prove it scientifically in the way of bringing it into a laboratory and repeating it, because it's history. You can't prove anything in history. All you can do is look at the evidence and see if the evidence stacks up. I believe it does for the resurrection of Jesus. But the more important question is, why does it matter? First thing, the resurrection of Jesus proves Jesus' claims to, to be God. He said he could forgive sins. He, he claimed he could heal. He said he would rise from the dead. And Paul writes this. This letter is from Paul, Romans 1. A slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line 
and that he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the Bible is very clear that the importance of the resurrection is the fact that it proves Jesus was who he claimed to be in the first place. So what? So what difference does this make? I like the way C.S. Lewis, the writer of Narnia, puts it. Christianity of false is of no importance. But if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. It can't be. It's, it's either true or it's false. And I, I can never convince you, and it's not my job, all I can do is present the evidence. I could never convince you that it's true. But if it is true, it's life-changing. If it's true, it makes a difference. We'll talk about that in a moment. If it's true, you need to respond to it. If it's not, the Bible goes on to say, we are of all men most miserable, and we should be playing golf on a Sunday morning. No, the Bible doesn't actually say that. <laughs> but the Bible does say, if it's not true, we are of all men most miserable. And I would rather be playing golf on a Sunday morning if it's not true. But we believe it is. It proves Jesus' claim to be God. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus is the evidence and hope of salvation. Paul again writes in 1 Corinthians where he, he's uh, talking very significantly about the resurrection. And in a couple of passages he says this. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ when he did not raise if it's not true that the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. See, it's so crucial that we realize Christianity stands or falls in the resurrection. It's not actually Good Friday that's the key to Christianity. It's Easter Sunday. Because there's lots of religions that make lots of claims, but none of them claim that their founder rose again from the dead. You can go to tombs, you can go in Sri Lanka, you can go in Kandy, the guys will know. You can go to the place where you can allegedly uh, go and worship Buddha's tooth. But they're not claiming that he rose from the dead. Only Christianity claims that and proves that. Why is it important? Because it's the proof of forgiveness. It's the proof that we can be forgiven. So I remember when I was a kid and my mum used to send me to the shop. Remember those days when you used to be able to do that? And they sent you to the shop and maybe you had a list, maybe you just had to remember. And those were the days where they even sent you out to get cigarettes for your parents. Yeah, some of you are nodding your head, you did that. And they would always say, bring me back a receipt. Yeah? Bring me back a receipt. Because you try and slip in a bubble gum or a blackjack or a little sweet on the, on the side. Yeah, bring me a receipt because the receipt proves that payment was made. Christ's resurrection is a receipt from God that the payment has been made. So when Jesus cried, it is finished, it wasn't a cry of defeat. It was literally what they would stamp at the end of an invoice, paid in full. Romans 4.25 says this. He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Folks, whatever uncertainty you have in your life, we can take this to the bank. 
We have the receipt from God that we can know his forgiveness, that we can be in right relationship with him and that we can live with a hope for the future. And that's exactly my last point. The resurrection of Jesus points to a life after life. We're not gonna read all of this, but let me read a couple of verses from this passage. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Listen, we, we just have to look at our environment and see the truth of this passage which says, the creation is groaning, longing for redemption. Our world's in a mess, isn't it? It is, environmentally, we're in a mess. The resurrection of Jesus points to a life after life. When all that sin and all that sorrow and the Bible says all that tears and all that sickness, it'll be gone. There'll be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. There will be life after life and that's what the resurrection of Jesus proves that he is like the first fruit. He's the token. The Bible says he is the deposit of the future. He's the deposit of our future knowing we have a hope because of Christ. You see, so many people, when they think about church and, and, and they say, well, I, I know I've done some stuff wrong so I'm gonna have to clean up my act to come to church. No, Jesus never said that. He said, whosoever comes to me, I will never turn away. And then he cleans us up. And then once we know his forgiveness, then he works on us the process of transformation that will take all of our lives. We believe because Jesus rose from death physically, that God intends to reclaim and restore this earth to his original purpose. This idea that we're all going to be floating on clouds, playing our harps, singing Kumbaya, that was just for you, Kerry. No, it's not in the Bible. The Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth where we will have new bodies and we will have responsibilities in eternity. God is going to reclaim his earth. God is going to reclaim the people that are committed to him, restored because of Jesus' resurrection one day, that will be because Jesus returns to claim his bride. That's what the Bible teaches. So what should you do in response? What should you do in response? Jesus is very clear in Mark 1.15. He says, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Those of you who weren't here last week, we, we unpacked that a little bit more. But the idea of repentance is a simple one. It, it means a change of our mind that leads to a change of direction. Do you know when that satnav says to you, at your earliest point, turn around. Turn around and go a different direction. That's exactly what the Bible said first. It's doing that U-turn. It's beginning to change your thinking that you can't live life your own way. That you can't live independently of God. That what the Bible says about Jesus actually is true and that you need to, to deal with something in your life and don't think God's gonna come and say, oh, of course, well, here's the list. I mean, we know it was a long one for Ian, but <laughs> shorter for Liz, obviously. But 
God's not coming with a list of what you did wrong. He's coming and saying, love me with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. So sin is a failure of worship. It's not that you've robbed the bank or murdered someone. It's a failure to worship God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And we've all done that, folks. We've all fallen short of God's standard. That's why we all need to repent. We all need to do that turnaround and stop living independently of God. Matthew 3, verse 8 says this. Prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. You see, Jesus expects you not to say sorry and then continue with your lifestyle. That's not repentance. That's not a turnaround. And for those of you who are Christians say, oh, I, I, I said a, a prayer once, so we're all good. I've got the paperwork. <laughs> we're all good. No, 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 no. God expects you to turn around and live differently. If your life is no different now than when you said that prayer and made that commitment, I don't know what you committed to you didn't commit to following Jesus. Because when you commit to following Jesus, there has to be a turnaround. Your lifestyle has to be different. According to Jesus, prove by the way that you live. Show the fruits of repentance. So I ask you, church, does your life show the fruits of repentance? Does your life show that you're different? Or if we were to put you on trial, would you be convicted for being a Christian? Would you be convicted for being a follower of Jesus Christ? Would people know that you're following God? Challenging, isn't it? I just lulled you into that. <laughs> Bible says we have to repent. The second thing we have to do is believe. Paul writes, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can't kind of fudge the issue, I'm afraid. You, you have to believe it in your heart and you have to confess it with your mind, which is why we'll often do that. We'll, we'll get people to pray out loud. And if you come today and you'd like us to pray with you, if you're ready to do that, then we will ask you to pray out loud because you have to confess something with your mind. You can't be a secret Christian. You can't say, well, I'll pray it in my heart, but I don't have to tell anyone. <laughs> No, you have to confess it with your mouth. And for some of you, maybe you're not ready for that stage yet. That's fine. Next Sunday, we're starting a, a new series called Meals with Jesus. Hands up who likes food. <laughs> yeah. So did Jesus. It worked for Jesus. Jesus spent a lot of time eating and drinking with people, which is why they called him a friend of sinners. He spent a lot of time, so we're going to look through nine stories in the Gospel of Luke and just unpack and see what is it we learn about Jesus? What is it we see in the heart of God that will invite him to come to us? So if you're still investigating, if you're still thinking, then come along next week and just begin that series with, with us as we see the type of people God invites to come. Some of you, maybe you've been watching online, Maybe you've come from a background of faith, but actually you've never really made that commitment to follow Jesus. You know, it, it's not actually about saying a prayer if you don't intend to follow it up. <laughs> it's not the words, it's not raising a hand or any of those things. 
in the summer we're uh, getting a coach and we're going to go up to Franklin Graham Crusade in London at the XL. We'll give you more details about that. And one of the things that his father, Billy Graham, used to do at the end of his message, he would always sing the hymn, Just As I Am, without one plea. And he would invite people to get up out of their seats and come to the front and say a prayer. You see, it's not what, but it's not what happens in that moment. We don't need special music. What we're doing is committing our lives to follow Christ. Yes, we may have questions. Yes, there may be things we don't understand. But we're saying, what I've heard today, what I've heard before, there's enough evidence for me to believe and commit to following Christ. Are you going to be perfect by breakfast tomorrow? Don't think so. Are you going to have all the answers to your questions? Definitely not. I still have a few questions. But you'll be set on a journey. The journey of a, a thousand miles begins with a first step. Some of you today need to take that first step and we keep it very simple. You can say something like this, sorry, thank you, and please. Sorry, thank you, and please. You're saying sorry to God that you've lived life independently of him. You're saying sorry that you've lived life your own way, that you're walking your own direction, but now you're going to turn around and begin to follow his truth and his direction for his life. You can say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me to bring me back into relationship. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit. Give me courage to follow you all the days of my life. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Girls are going to come. We have a special song for you today. The girls are going to come after this and, and sing this song. The song's called Altar. Um, we're not a traditional church where we have kind of a, a big altar up at the front. But you can make that altar in your heart. You can make that altar in your response to Jesus I'm just inviting you today if you've never prayed this prayer if you've never made that commitment to Jesus just use those three words to make that commitment now to say sorry that you've lived life your own way that you're turning away from everything you know that's wrong in your life that you're saying thank you that Jesus died on the cross for you to bring you back into relationship with God that he rose again and you said please to invite him into your life with a commitment to follow him so Father we thank you for the opportunity and we pray in these closing moments of our time together that people would take this message seriously that they would understand it's of eternal significance, of eternal importance, that our eternal destiny is determined on the question, what have we done with Jesus? <coughs> Father, for those who have wandered from the truth, who maybe at one stage followed you closely, we pray that today they return to following you with an undivided heart, with a whole heart, that they will say today, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Help us today to be people who live for you. In Jesus' name.
Just to say, if any of you do want to talk to me afterwards, I'll, I'll be around at the front. We have some literature that we think will be helpful for you, either because you're still investigating. Maybe today you said uh, a little yes that'll need a big yes. We understand that. We have some literature that'll be helpful for you uh, in your journey. We're also happy to pray. If you prayed that prayer and it was the first time, then, then let us know as well. We'd love to uh, greet you and welcome you. And, and bless you in that. So the girls, Grace, Amelia, Hannah are coming to sing for us today. I think the guys are playing as well, aren't they? Part of the instrument. So enjoy this song as we look to conclude.
Father, we, we make that our prayer this morning, that in our lives you would be glorified. Whatever stage of the journey we're at, help us to say yes to you today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us, guys. Um, we're going to have some tea and coffee. The sun is shining, so you can go out in the garden, enjoy a cup of tea and coffee. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed the teaching. We'd love to hear from you, so please contact us. All the details can be found on our website. God bless. Yeah.